The Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging presents The Art of Aging, information and tips on how to experience life more abundantly as we age. Our hosts are John King and Reverend Beth Long Higgins, Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center in Marion, Ohio, an organization affiliated with the United Church of Christ. There was a study in California. They compared a, a group involved in the village and a group not, and this went over, I think, five years. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing that people who are engaged in the village movement remain in their community, was it two years longer mm -hmm. than their cohorts? Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's a really big deal if you multiply that times the entire adult population and the typical kind of spending pattern for caring for older adults and times the quality of the later life course. Hi there, I'm John King. And I am Reverend Beth Long Higgins, and this is the first episode of the Art of Aging podcast. Man, I really like the concept of aging as an art. Often aging, especially as we grow older, has a negative association. But in this podcast, we hope to provide inspirational and practical examples of how aging can be done with grace. That's right, John. Today's topic is the Village to Village Network. The villages are an incredible movement that provides services to people so that they can continue in the community where they already feel at home. The village concept helps to provide mutual support as their needs change. As you heard in the teaser, Research has shown that the network increases the amount of time people can remain in their homes up to two years. And we are lucky to have three representatives from villages in Columbus, Ohio. Let's listen to their story. My name is Ed Elberfeld. I'm a long-term resident of German Village. And about eight or nine years ago, I was on the Long Range Planning Committee of the German Village Society. And one of the members of the committee brought an article from the New York Times about the Beacon Hill Village and said, do you think we should do something like this? We invited people from a couple of villages to come to speak to us uh, because it, it was obvious that the older adult population was growing very rapidly and, and pretty much nobody wanted to leave the village so we connected to the Village to Village Network, which was very, very useful to us. Uh, and I invited my neighbors and members of that committee to form a board. And we launched, it'll be six years ago in January. Our indication from looking at the best practices and villages that succeeded is that those villages that succeeded had a paid position, an executive director and we determined that we couldn't hire someone until we had the money in the bank to pay them. And so it took about you know a good chunk of that year to do fundraising. And when we launched, we had an executive director and immediately had 30 members. And now, six years coming up in January, we're probably gonna have 200 members. And what is your membership fee? We have two types of members. We have regular members who receive services. In other words, they call, they get a ride, they get yard cleanup, they get a light bulb changed at the top of the stairs, they get heavy objects moved. So a, a single person is $500, a two-person household is $750. We quickly ran into a lot of people who liked the idea 
and told us sometime we want to be part of this, but you can't put that in the bank. So we came up with a social membership, uh, which is $125 for a one or two person household. And the social members come to our social events, uh, form part of the cadre of our volunteers, uh, are happily supporting the organization while receiving no direct services other than the uh, social events. And it's been a great boon to our budget. And the social membership fee is tax deductible, so it's really a donation, but it includes membership and it includes a community of people that support us. It also allows us to have about 20% of our members on scholarship, you could call it, or subsidy. I don't know the correct term. What do you call it? Um, I think we could say either one. Um, okay. People receive a scholarship for a subsidized membership. Yes, and so the social memberships and grants and other fundraising has allowed us to maintain that uh, because uh, even though we are a membership uh, organization, uh, we don't want to exclude people, and there are people to whom our, our fee would be a detriment to their joining. Okay, my name is Donald Wiggins, and I'm the executive director for Village Connections. And I facilitate the day-to-day operations of the organization. Um, I work with our volunteer base to ensure that we have people to provide the services for our members. I also, with Christine's help um, from the Greater Village, um, opportunities for us to grow financial resources for all of us um, through grants and Uh, major funders. Columbus now has five villages and has a goal of covering the whole city. Christine Happel oversees her village and is also over the citywide village network. So I am Christine Happel and we began our village in 2015 and we found that there was a growing need for a different type of service in the community. And so some of our community members actually began to research information about the village. They had heard of Beacon Hill as well. And then, of course, Village Connections paved the way. And so began to see how this model could really successfully be adapted in the Clintonville, Beach Walden University District neighborhoods of the city. And over the uh, last four and a half years have really grown not only in membership but in the range of programming that we're able to to offer. So very full social calendar that includes health and wellness, educational um, activities, as well as a very large menu of services. And in the in 2018, we formed the Greater Columbus Network of Villages, which consists of five village programs here um, in Columbus and allows us to collaborate on funding. So one thing is that we are all small neighborhood organizations, so it's hard to attract funding when you're saying, I want this much money to focus on three neighborhoods. It's a lot easier if we all come together and say we have 15 neighborhoods that we you know, want funding for. And it just also shows collaboration. So we share a lot of resources, a lot of knowledge. Um, for example, any village member across the city could participate in a social activity offered by another village. So uh, one example of this is uh, Village in the Ville has a robust Tai Chi program. And so our member who uh, volunteers his time to offer Tai Chi to members has then gone out to each of the other villages and helped um, not only provide Tai Chi classes for them, but then helping those organizations get their own personal Tai Chi programs off the ground. And so 
uh, that's just one really great way that we're able to collaborate. And so the um, network's kind of there to foster that collaboration. Uh, we have been advocates for having a paid position for each of the villages. Uh, we do find that that is beneficial. Um, however, I think the volunteer component, the villages couldn't run without a really strong volunteer base. One of the great things about the village movement, I think, and is been that it's recognized that there are older adults with time and with education and with some basic income uh, and are able to serve other members of our community who may not have those resources. And so in a way, it's, it's older adults helping other older adults. And the great thing about the village is that the executive director and the organization brings the volunteers to the people that need the help. That's kind of organizing volunteers would be, you know, kind of our main skill because someone in their early uh, retirement time will be thinking about this more seriously and looking around and seeing that this is a way that you can imagine staying in your home and paying it forward and hoping that there will be something there that will help you in your later life course. We asked whether the village concept could work in a low-income neighborhood. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. We have a new one on the Near East Side, which is all low income. The, the, the demographics of the area is all low income. We started one this summer. We opened one on the west side of Columbus, and um, it falls under the Shalom Zone, which focuses on underserved individuals. Christine's Village has great disparity in income. They have very low income people, and they have people off the charts that live in her, mm -hmm. her area. An early criticism of the village movement, it started in Beacon Hill, a very well-off community, and was adopted early on by many uh, university communities. Well, initially, we had zero kind of funding outside of our community. And now, it's become fairly obvious that there is a growing need there, and the governmental agencies and the private foundations are saying, well, here is an organization or a, uh, a method that kind of works, that makes sense on a lot of ways. And so now it's become uh, somewhat, I won't say easier to start a village, but the path is, is, is better understood. And that's why we're very anxious to support why, why and you're the head of this, aren't you? The, the city yeah. group of villages and why it's very important. I'm speaking yeah. to you now, actually. Yeah. It's very important <laughs> that these lower income communities are able to succeed. This community recognizes that there needs to be something in every community, not just the well-off communities. And uh, I think that Columbus is going to prove that axiom wrong, that it's only in well-off communities. One concern of the Columbus Villages is becoming too successful. I think our greatest challenge for all of us is being careful that we don't grow so large that we can't maintain the things that are making us special and make us work right now. You know, we're taking a hard look at that right now. How many members can we actually service? We have 58 right now that, that we provide services for, um, which is 
it's a lot. I mean, we just provide, or we just had this year, I just did a little thank you. Um, we've done over 500 transportation <laughs> requests this year. That's more than one a day. 205 members. We have 205 members. That is inclusive of our social members as well. 58 of those 205 receive services. So how many of those are providing services? Uh, we have about 63 volunteers. So I don't know. Christine, do you? what's your mix like? Yeah, so we have um, about 40 designated village volunteers. Um, 48% of Village in the Ville's members are also volunteers. Right? But part of my role is to really grow a volunteer relationship with someone who's going to dedicate time to the village specifically and understand our mission, get to know our members. Because that's one of the differences with the village is that we really try to emphasize the importance of relationships. And so I gave you that age in place term earlier, but we don't really use that anymore. We say age in community because it's all about feeling a part of where you're living and having those relationships. We know very much that relationships are an important part of how well you age, um, not only to feel included and to have friendships, but also that these people support you. So I always encourage members to get in touch with me. Uh, most commonly, too, is transportation. That's a bulk of our services as well. You have people that are lonely. How do you deal with figuring out that somebody needs that? Yeah, it's, so it's building that rapport. So I find that my members are actually pretty honest with me about their needs, and that has come with time and attention and uh, getting to know the members. And so, and sometimes you can just tell. So as a social worker, I have some skills in being able to pick up on someone's needs. And so offering something and seeing if someone takes advantage of that offer, too, can be really helpful. I'll say one of the greatest surprises to me, I did not realize how important the social aspect would be. Many older adults are isolated in their homes and is not healthy. It's the opposite of that. It's very unhealthy. And it is so gratifying to find ways, and there's no one way, to reconnect folks to their neighbors and to other parts of the community. We have a lot of social activities, but the friendly visit is our way to connect to people who won't come to things or are not comfortable coming to the things. And so it's important to look down that list and see, you know, not only who's coming to events, who's connecting, but also see who isn't and kind of make that extra step to get there. And I would hope that every village would recognize that and make it an important part of their organization. <laughs> you know what, they'll call and say, thank you so much. Or I have their children call me and say, thank you so much for getting mom out of the house. She's a much different person when I come on Saturday to take her to the grocery store than she was last week when you guys weren't out with her. So we know collectively that that work, as Christine mentioned, is just, getting people out and into an environment where they're not sitting in their homes with their drapes drawn <laughs> and their television on. Um, and you just don't, until you're involved in this work, you don't really know that that is so, is such a big issue out there. How many people do you think are living in community that might not be able to without the Village Network? The uh, time that we were setting up our village uh, one of my good friends and neighbors who has some major 
health problems. She's not ambulatory. She needs a lot of help. She said, Ed, I'm thinking about moving to a nice retirement commuter. And I said, well, next month we're going to get this village thing started. Why don't you give us a shot? She said, well, I need a lot of help. And I said, well, we'll see. I've never done this either. We'll see if we can do that. So this is one of our members who does need a lot of help. And you know, some people need a lot more than others. Six years later, she's still living by herself in her home, bars around the house, uh, various amenities that are now becoming available to older adults living at home and a multitude of services. And she is so grateful and, and she is so adapted now to staying in her community that I don't see it changing. No, she was the first one in the door at the Christmas lunch last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our first member, too, uh, will famously tell people that she had her room picked out at her, her chosen retirement community. It was booked. She was packing her bags. And then our village in the Ville popped up and, you know, she put everything back on the shelves. And I also additionally see her staying in her home. I don't see that changing. She has um, kind of reorganized what she thought this stage of her life would look like. For all of our lives, we've known the older adult next to us or across the street. And as neighbors, we've gone over to help. But I think the great thing about the village movement is now I am going... 10 blocks away to help someone that I might not have known. Mm -hmm. Part of that has to do with technology. We can bring, you know, with the internet, a group together. We can connect volunteers. We can connect needs and kind of put them together. Even though the person receiving the services may not have the internet, we have uh, ways of communicating, cell phone, all this, email that makes it and, and, and smart software that manages these connections. I think coming at a time when the time is ripe, not only do we have a, an increased need, but we also have increased tools to make this kind of thing happen because the reality is it's going to be all hands on deck, you know, in the next 20 or 30 years, seeing the numbers that we have. So it certainly makes sense to have this in every neighborhood as a component of the later life course. And uh, I, I hope that uh, that's why I'm willing to go anywhere and speak to people about this. I have a volunteer who volunteers tirelessly with us. And I said, why and how do you give all this time? She said, I've met two really good friends in the members that I service. And they now do things like they go to the opera and they go to the theater and on off times. and. <laughs> The member will then say, I want to let you know that so-and-so came and took me to, to the thing. They want them to know that these guys are doing these things for them. But she said, I would have never met either one of these people had it not been for Village Connections. It's even very much how we've grown the village. Our mm -hmm. best advocates are our members and that word of mouth. I have a couple, I have one member in particular who every where she goes, she spreads the good word of the village. She carries brochures in her um, purse, and even um, most recently at the checkout line in Target, oh um, noticed a woman who was waiting for um, a taxi or some kind of transportation. She offered the woman a ride home on the way, told her all about the village, and is this woman's now a member. So it's, it's having someone who's experienced and lived it themselves as proof um, that really helps us kind of grow. 
Can you just list out the things that contribute to the long-term health of the members? <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say that if there is a silver bullet and there isn't, it's probably physical activities. Mm-hmm. Hard to get that going, but our members, we have one member we take to the fitness club three days a week or two, two days, days a week, and the other day she goes swimming. So, and she's... Uh, she just had her 89,000 mile checkup, <laughs> and the doctor said that she was 89 because she is keeping herself physically fit. So, walking groups, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the Tai Chi, thank you very much. Yeah. So, those kinds of activities, which are maybe the hardest to sell, but uh, getting people out of the house, the social activities are also kind of very, very important. And another important thing, and I I know you'll all agree, is since we are volunteer-driven, and many of our members are also volunteers, giving that sense of purpose, nothing better for your soul and your health than helping your neighbor. And so people feel that they are helping, they have a purpose, the person down the street needs them, they better be healthy and ready to go. And that's extremely important. And minimizing stress, too. I think knowing that you have a support network, you have someone to call, that you're not going to be caught out in the dark alone uh, is important, too. Did you have some, You've jumped, Ed. No, I, I just remember somebody <laughs> lights one out, and, I had to, and I, it's been a long time since I actually screwed a fuse yeah, in. But we, we yeah, had like to, I don't even know what a fuse box <laughs> is. But I, I kind of remembered from my, my youth, and uh, there are people, we typically hope that people will call in advance of their needs, but true, truly, we like to also be kind of a safety net yeah. for things couple, like that. A couple members whose heat went out last winter, and it was the furnace broke, so they still had electricity. And uh, a neighbor just down the street really helps care for them, and uh, he brought over space heaters and blankets, and then... Um, and, you know, invited them over for dinner and opened uh, their house to these other members who live real close. And so, yeah, just a thing that could have been catastrophic was, you know, just a somewhat uncomfortable weekend in the cold. Makes them feel like they have an advocate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's one of the things that I see, especially with our older members, is, you know, they don't have they don't have anybody here. Maybe their children live on opposite ends of the country, but the need is immediate. I think having a peer support group to lean on for information and understanding and just sharing one's woes, uh, it can be really, really helpful as well. And two, just some of the nuts and bolts things of getting older. So Medicare is infinitely challenging to navigate and so that people can come to me but also to one another to learn about processes and even just to say this is awful and we all hate this and it's been horrible for everyone. Um, just to have that. And this is another reason I think the village movement is, is rapidly growing. In earlier times, one of the family members might have been right there in the community with mom or mom and pop. Uh, in this era, people move not only all over the country but all over the world and uh, are not necessarily right there uh, on the farm to help mom and pop. And there's also a, a growth of non-traditional families who might not have that kind of traditional hierarchy of of help. And I think that looking to the community has been very beneficial 
and trying to meet the needs of the era where kids don't live there or the family is not traditional has been very gratifying to be able to do that. John, due to COVID-19, we decided to reconnect with Christine to see how the pandemic is impacting the villages in Columbus. So we've planned a couple of virtual activities, but as we all know, it's not nearly the same as seeing one another face-to-face, and so we're missing that component. We did set up check-in calls for members, so about a group of five members are calling all of the other members at least every week. And we've been using a nice platform where members can go online and check in and say, you know, how they're doing and if they need anything. So we're still able to follow up with folks, but again, missing that in-person, one-on-one ability to touch base. I think a lot comes out of getting to have a conversation with someone getting to really see them in person and get a sense for their well-being. This coming week, folks will begin to be able to return to doctor's appointments, and then uh, it's spring, so I'm sure we'll start doing yard work soon enough and be able to find ways that we can have volunteers help members and then still maintain social distance and safety for everyone involved. So I know Uh, driving is huge, and you're saying you're just starting doctor's appointments. Are you concerned about getting enough volunteers, or has that been a problem? So it is concerning thinking that a lot of the members have expressed that they wish to continue to maintain as much distance as possible, and so I'm not sure we will want to put upon them or that they will be willing to volunteer to do some of the jobs they were doing before um, COVID-19 came on the scene. So yes, it is concerning, but uh, maybe an opportunity to tap into new folks as a community. We've seen uh, a vast number of new people volunteer for the organization as we've done our emergency necessity bag deliveries. This entire situation has brought a new light on the needs of older adults and that I'm hoping as a community we're more finely tuned uh, to the needs of our older community members, but it'll be like all of this, a new road too. Well, that's really impressive that the entire city of Columbus may someday have a village in every neighborhood to provide this support. And if you're interested in finding out more about the village movement, you can search for the national site at vtvnetwork.org, where you can also find links to the Columbus village that Ed and Don helped start and much more about how to set up your own village. This podcast was funded in part by the Dayton Foundation, Del Mar Encore Fellows Initiative, and the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, a program of United Church Homes. Audio production and interviews were conducted by Del Mar Fellow Eric Johnson.